This is an ABC podcast. If you could take your brain and zoom in a couple of times, pinch those fingers, folks, and then a bit more, you'd see structures that look like towers and tentacles and behave like pieces of automatic Lego. It's a crazy miniature world and one we're going to get a tour of today here on Occam's Razor with me, Tegan Taylor. Our tour guide is Dr Kiara Bruggerman, who's hijacking and hacking these nano-sized structures in the hopes of helping stroke-affected brains heal. So, first off, what is nanotechnology? It's taken me five years, but I can now answer that question. Nanotechnology is small, complicated things. And they're... Yeah, that's, that's what it is. That's all it is. You don't need to waste five years. I've saved you that time. There are two ways of getting these small, complicated things. You can either take something that's already quite complicated, like a car or a computer, and make it a lot smaller. And those are the nanobots that everyone thinks of when you say nanotechnology. The other way, and what I do, is to take something that's already very small, like a molecule, and make it a little bit more complicated. And when you do this, there are some really interesting applications in medical science. So it always bothers me when I talk about nanotechnology in medicine and people just think about machines being implanted into your body or nanobots being injected into your veins. And there is a whole other area of nanotechnology that has nothing to do with computers. So as a quick example of nanotechnology in medicine, tissue engineering or regenerative medicine that's what I do, and it's a different approach to medicine. Instead of trying to replace complicated human organs with these computerized alternatives, we try to create an environment that really fosters growth at a cellular level and helps cells to recreate new healthy structures. And for me, because I'm a crazy mad scientist, I work on brain tissue engineering. So for me, I'm talking about healing damaged brains after stroke or injury. So I want you to think about visiting a foreign country when that is possible. So I know that's a little bit of a dream right now, but you know, remember back in the times when you could visit a foreign country. When you went there, you try to speak the local language, learn a few expressions, at least where is the bathroom, and try some of the local food. You don't just shout at everyone in English and eat hamburgers. This is kind of the approach to medicine as well. Your body is a foreign country, and it doesn't speak the language of computers. So trying to address medical problems with computer-based technology is just speaking the wrong language. So what we do instead is we make materials that create a supportive environment to help cells to grow into that new tissue. So we're not going to replace it with a computer. We're going to let cells build new replacement tissue. So if you've got a bit of brain damage or a region of brain damage, we're gonna grow some whole new brain tissue rather than trying to replace your brain with a computer. Now the cells that we're using to do this, the cells that we're supporting, they are stem cells. And I like to think of stem cells as tiny teenagers. They're full of potential, they could be anything they want, but left to themselves, they're lazy. <laughs> They need, they need a bit of motivation or kick in the pants to get going. What we do is we provide them that supportive environment. 
and to make sure that they turn into brain cells specifically, because remember, they can be anything they want, but we don't necessarily trust the judgment of teenagers any more than we trust the judgment of stem cells. So we want to encourage them to become brain cells specifically. And to do that, we use peer pressure because stem cells and teenagers very susceptible to peer pressure. So we make a material that mimics the properties of healthy brain tissue, so that we stick stem cells into this material environment. They see all around themselves, they see brain tissue. They think that everything around them is brain tissue and they just wanna fit in. They just wanna be normal, they just wanna be like everyone else. So they turn into brain cells too. And we get this nice new happy brain cells. Now when I say that we make a material that mimics healthy brain tissue, it just looks like healthy brain tissue. It doesn't mimic brain functions. Within all of your organs, all of you here, everyone, all of the stuff between your cells, that's called the extracellular matrix. And you can kind of think of it like the buildings in a city if all of the people are cells. So the buildings on their own, they don't do anything, but you do still need them to perform the various functions. People need them and cells need the extracellular matrix. So doctors need hospitals in order to be doctors, teachers need schools, podcast producers need bars like this to record Occam's Razor, and cells also need that supportive environment. So we don't need to mimic the whole function of the brain, we just need to mimic that sort of environment. So we create a sort of empty brain building, stick some stem cells in there, and watch them grow into new healthy brain tissue. So that's the theory. We have a bit of damaged brain tissue, we remove it, we replace that with a brain mimicking material, pop some stem cells in, watch them turn into nice new replacement brain cells. Now for the details. In order to mimic that environment, in order to really be artificial brain tissue enough to trick the stem cells, we need to match the chemical properties, the biological properties, the physical properties, the morphological or shape properties of the healthy brain tissue that we're going for. So there's a lot of science to draw on to get in there, and we have to do this all at the molecular level so that we're matching what the cells would actually see. So one thing you wouldn't necessarily guess is one of the most important properties that materials have in terms of determining what the cells around them will turn into is the stiffness or squishiness. So as cells move around their environment, they sort of reach out arms, grab onto material, and pull themselves along. And the amount of resistance they get there tells them what sort of material they're in. So if you have quite a stiff material, then cells are gonna interpret that as bone tissue. And this has actually been quite a, a problem in the past with soft tissue implants, because we like to design things to be durable and tough and strong. But if you have too strong of a soft tissue implant, you can start growing or trying to grow bone cells around an implant that is not meant to be bones. And this quite comically happens with breast implants. <laughs> Chuckle. Uh, yeah. So we need to make sure that our material is appropriately squishy because your brains are very squishy. I mean that in the most complimentary way. Your, your brains are all at a like, stiffness of about 10 kilopascals, a beautiful stiffness for your brains. Uh, but it's pretty squishy. So the actual material we use is a hydrogel. It looks a lot like hair gel. It's very watery, it's mostly water, but it's got a bit of a molecular network running through it to give it just a little bit more support and structure so it's not quite watery. 
Another important thing we know about brain cells in particular is they love to make connections and cross gaps. So different cells sort of thrive in different environments. Muscle cells, they really love being in like straight lines. If you have a sort of grooved material, all the cells will grow in a nice line with each other. But brain cells like to reach out more. They really like to sort of branch out sideways, grab onto something. So we've created an environment that has nanofibers in it, sort of long, thin strands of our material running through that hydrogel environment. It's a bit like a jungle gym, but on a nanoscale. So all of our brain cells have enough structure and support that they can climb on it, they can move around, but they're encouraged to sort of reach out, make connections, grab hold of something new and build that complicated brain structure. Another big thing is biological signals. There's a protein called laminin that's very common in brain tissue. And we know from past research that other people have done long before my day, that stem cells surrounded by laminin will behave more like brain cells, which is great. But laminin and all proteins really, they're huge and cells are lazy. So they're not actually gonna look at the whole protein to figure out what it is. They only look for specific recognizable bits of that protein. So we know what that short little sequence is that says, hey, I'm a laminin protein. Don't bother looking at the rest of the molecule. I promise it's all there. Uh, and it's small enough that we can manufacture it synthetically in the lab. So we do that. We make this little synthetic piece of a brain protein and the cells just trust us that the rest of the protein is there and they believe that, that it's brain tissue. And we attach that small little piece of protein onto a molecule that I like to think of as a Lego molecule because, let me get this out, fluorinyl methyloxycarbonyl is awkward to say. <laughs> so this Lego stacking molecule just naturally forms into a Lego stack. The molecules stack on top of each other, they sort of align up and click into place and form these stacks. And since we've attached that small piece of brain protein onto the stacking Lego molecule, we naturally form into nanofibers. So we get this morphological structure, the shape, the nanofibers that allows that like growth and, and interaction and movement of our cells. We get the biological signals from that piece of brain protein. Because it's all done synthetically, we have really good control over the chemical properties, so we can control that chemical environment and we can control exactly how many nanofibers there are, which controls the stiffness or squishiness of the material. So we draw on lots of understanding of various branches of science because we, the scientific community, do have enough understanding now to start putting these pieces together and making more complex structures and to start really talking to the human body in its own language. So we're not trying to force the body to get along with computers and make do with computers. We're able to really speak to it in its own language. We don't have all of the answers yet. We're, we're very much new to this, but we're now able to have that conversation and have it in the right language. Thank you all. Lazy teenagers, Lego, shaking up insulin like a cocktail. Who'd have thought nanomaterials could be so easy to understand? Dr. Kiara Bruggerman is a nanotechnology engineer at the Australian National University, and she was speaking as part of our Occam's Razor live event at Smith's Alternative in Canberra in June. I'm Tegan Taylor, your Occam's Razor host, and 
much like a hydrogel, I'll be oozing into your feed next week with another tale from the world of science.